This is Keith coming at you from the Cameron Social Studios. And Marcus. Oh, forget about him. And today we're speaking with Dr. D, and she is a breast surgeon that really focuses on breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And with you know our segment for the month of breast cancer um, awareness, I think she will provide a great deal of insight and hopefully what I'm going to ask, some myth that are out there. Yeah, I think I think Dr. D or Dr. D Pasquale, she's going to get rid of all the myths, get the facts out there. One thing I'm really looking forward to is like how does breast cancer affect men? So I'm I'm definitely hoping that she answers that on today's podcast. Yeah, and that's actually something to put out there because we do focus mainly on on the women, but we should be more concerned about the men as well. Yeah, and along with that, I know she's going to probably talk about her research on the um, triple negative breast cancer. Not sure what it is, but hopefully we can learn a lot more about that today. And how often should women get mammograms? We had one guest on earlier this week, and um, I, I don't think she was quite aware. And I'm not sure a lot of women or listeners are aware of that. Should men get checked? You know, so hopefully we find all that out. Yeah, should be good. So make sure you stay tuned. We have a lot more coming from you today on the MedVets with Dr. D. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Thank you, Dr. D. Pasquale, for joining the MedVets. It is an honor to have you as our guest today. We have a lot of questions for you. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of how, how did you get into cancer oncology? I was an early decider, I want to say. I started out my journey at the age of about five years old and knew I wanted to be a doctor, but there was really no doctors in my family. Mm -hmm. So I went on and pursued that dream and knew I wanted to do surgery very early on. When I started my general surgery training out in Boston, I felt that it was just very impersonal. We would do a gallbladder, we would do a hernia, and then that patient would never see us again, maybe for one post-operative visit. So then I started following the breast surgeon as an intern, and she knew all of the patient's names, she gave them a hug, she knew everything about them, and she followed them for life with their mammograms. So at that moment, I knew that I wanted to get into breast cancer treatment and be a breast cancer surgeon. Excellent. Wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. So you, you've kind of had it all figured out from the, from the start. Yeah. <laughs> so far, we had a guest, a few guests. So we had a husband tell his story, a wife tell her story. We had someone that come in and they had reconstructive breast surgery. Mm -hmm. Now, is that a myth? Does, does reconstructive surgery lower your chances of breast cancer? Well, if you do a complete mastectomy of both sides, you are reducing the amount of breast tissue that you have. Mm -hmm. So by theory, you reduce the chance of a breast cancer recurrence because you have less mm -hmm. breast tissue. But you still have about 2 to 3% of breast cells left behind to keep the skin alive for the reconstruction. Mm -hmm. So, And patients always focus on the breasts with their breast cancer, which I get it. That's where it mm -hmm. starts. But I always tell patients, you have a whole body. We can't remove your whole body. So breast surgery is so important to give you the breast cure, but you have to keep yourself cancer-free. And we, you, that might include other therapies, including IV medicines, oral medicines, or even radiation. So although breast cancer surgery does get you cancer-free, we need to protect your body 
because as a surgeon, we can't remove your whole body. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Okay. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really good to know. Another thing, you know, with what we try um, to do with our, our podcast is just try to uncover some things that our listening audience may not know, and even in general healthcare audience. So how does breast cancer affect men? I know that's, that's something we would normally talk about. We've talked mainly about women, but can you share some insight on how it affects men? Yeah, so breast cancer is relevant for men. Men should be doing breast exams and just be aware of what their breasts look like. So if there's a dramatic change, whether it is a skin change, a nipple inversion, nipple discharge, or all of a sudden that one breast gets larger, those are things that you have to talk to your physician about. Stage for stage, male breast cancer is exactly the same as female breast cancer, meaning the prognosis at each stage is exactly the same. Wow. The difference between the two is that men typically, if something is wrong with their chest wall, they may not notice it. They're not getting screening mammograms. They're not as noticeably checking their chest wall. So when men come in with breast cancer, they're usually, not always, but slightly higher stage because they may not have gotten a mammogram, obviously. Mm -hmm. But one thing men should know is that if they do have something wrong with them and they should see their physician, they still they can get a, man, a mammogram. And I call them manograms. Okay. They can <laughs> still get it. There's still tissue. We can still take that. We can still take a look at that. And that's the best way to do it is to get the imaging, which includes the mammogram and the ultrasound to see really what's going on with that breast tissue. So are there like no, there are no symptoms really that to, to look at or be aware of other than just going to get checked? Yeah, true? just check and just know what your chest wall feels like. If there's a change, like I said, in the skin, nipple discharge, or a change in the size, those mm -hmm. are things that you need to bring to your physician's attention. And the other thing to be aware of is family history. So if your mom had early breast cancer and your sister and your mother's mother had breast cancer and you're a male in that family, there could be something called a genetic linkage where we talk about the breast cancer gene or the BRCA gene. That passes down equally to men and women. Hmm. So you have a 50% chance of getting that mutation if your mom had it. It doesn't matter your gender, you have a 50% chance of getting it. So as a male, if you do have this gene mutation, not only are you at risk for breast cancer, but you're at risk for early prostate cancer and pancreas cancer. So those are things for men to be aware about. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, that's really good information. And I know <laughs> generally in uh, October, we focus more on breast cancer awareness, but now more people are getting more in tune with prostate cancer and other forms of cancer. When it comes to, to men, I won't get back on, on, the, on the breast cancer, a lot of men are probably embarrassed have that fear of the, uh, the unknown. They may feel a lump or something and they may not do anything with it. What's a good physician, is it their general practitioner that they should see or they're like a, maybe a urologist that they should see as well? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So for the breast standpoint, a general practitioner can examine them. If they find something that's abnormal, they usually do send them over to a breast surgeon or a breast specialist. Sometimes they'll order the mammogram and the ultrasound prior, and sometimes they'll just send them over because men can also get male breast tissue development called gynecomastia, which is benign. So that's not cancer. Men can develop these growths of their breast 
based off of medicines or other things in their life that have changed that is not cancer. So sometimes the primary care physician is able to say, yes, this is a change. Let me get you to the next level, which is a specialist. Okay. So for all our, all our listeners out there, can, can they, let's say for you example, can they just come to your office or set an appointment or do they have to go? Is there, I mean, of course, depending on their insurance, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you located in the Dallas, Texas area? Yeah. Um, and how, you know, how can they find you or, or just, you know, reach out if they have any questions or want to set up? Sure. Yeah, no, I have actually four offices <laughs> covering okay. a lot of the DFW area. So I am with Texas Breast Specialists. And if you just Google my name, Allison DePasquale, uh, at Texas Breast Specialists, you will see my four locations. They're out of Medical City, Dallas, mm -hmm. where I am also the director of breast oncology. I have an office at Methodist Mansfield. I have an office at Methodist Dallas and Methodist Charlton. So I'm at lots of different regions throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And if there is a problem, they can definitely call. Um, and we help in our office to help facilitate the referrals from the insurance companies or from the primary care physicians. Because in the setting of a pandemic where there's so much worry, unknown, and angst, our office really tries to help you get in to see who you need to see. I always say knowledge is power. If I have the ability to see you, to get a test, to give you that knowledge, to take away that anxiety, to make you just feel better about your life and the fact you don't have anything wrong, then why not do it? Absolutely. How You brought up a good point. How has it been with COVID, dealing with yeah. patients and, and kind of just seeing them? How, how is that? Yeah. So, I bet, huh? yeah, it's been it's been a little different, unique. But the good news is we're swinging back into the normalcy of, or the new normal, I should say, of where we mm -hmm. need to be. There was a time period where hospitals and imaging centers shut down. They did not do screening mammograms for safety reasons. There was too much unknown about this virus, and nobody knew enough. All we knew is that we needed to stay home, and we needed to do that for our, our health and safety. Now we know sterilization, wearing a mask, six feet apart, all the things that you've heard in, in, from your physicians and um, out in the news, we do. And so now we have opened up all screening mammograms safely, efficiently, and we sterilize between and we've taken the precautions to make sure that women still take care of their health during this mm -hmm. time period. Got it. How, how often should women be getting checked? So for average risk women, meaning that you don't have your mom didn't have breast cancer, you don't have a bunch of cancer in your family, you've never had a biopsy or personal history of cancer, we recommend starting at age 40. Now, if you have any of those other things I mentioned, then you're at higher risk and you talk to your physician and they can plug you into the correct time to start. But for average risk, it's starting mammogram at age 40 and going every year until you're unable to go for your mammogram. So that's different ages for a lot of people. It can be a 60-year-old mm -hmm. if they're not in good health, or it could be a 95-year-old if they're in good health. I wonder, has there ever been a time like where, have you ever, do you know of anyone, either question for you or Keith, that has experienced, like has been, is it even possible to get breast cancer beyond like lower than age 40? 
Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. In fact, it's very prevalent now to have, you know, an, uh, an earlier breast cancer. There is a diff there's a type of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. Okay. That's more prevalent in certain populations, including African-Americans and Pacific Islanders. And those populations can have cancer start at a younger age. So we're talking in their late 20s, early 30s, and going into their you know, early 40s. So that is a cancer, and it usually, not all the time, has a higher propensity to have the genetic linkage to one of the breast cancer genes. Mm -hmm. So we know nowadays more about those mutations. And when patients who come in who are in their 30s and say, hey, you know, I'm breastfeeding, but I, I feel something, something just doesn't feel right. We get the imaging, we go ahead and get again, the knowledge to give us the power to do the correct thing for the patient. So I always say, if you see something or feel something, say something. Yeah, yeah. It's always the awareness that, that should come first, then the education, then prevention, right? So yep. if you're not aware of it, like I said, the family history, then you won't know. And then exactly. if you don't have the education of, you know, how often to get checked or what to do, even the education on insurance, right? How, how to strategically align yourself with that and, and go for your checkups, then you won't be able to prevent it. And exactly. um, prevention is key. So you talked about the triple negative breast cancer. So, I know you do a lot of research in that. Can you explain to the listeners more so a little bit about a general synopsis of what that is? So, yeah. So when we look at breast cancer, we look at three tumor markers and they help us really decide what type of breast cancer do you have and what other therapies you need to protect your body to keep you cancer free. So the three tumor markers are estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, so they feed off of the female hormones. Mm -hmm. And the third tumor marker is called HER2. It's a protein. Okay. So if all three of those markers are negative, that is triple negative breast cancer. So that means that this breast cancer developed and it does not feed off of female hormones or this HER2 protein. They usually are in younger women, as I explained, and it does have, they usually are faster growing and slightly more aggressive. So it is important for these triple negative breast cancers to get into their physician quickly so that they can start the treatment to treat mm -hmm. their body, protect their body, and as well as get rid of their breast cancer. Another thing that I've heard, and you know, I'm not good at researching things on, on Google MD, <laughs> are there certain foods or certain things that we are eating right now that can cause breast cancer? A lot of research has gone into kind of, it's to food and they focused a lot on antioxidants and the fact that antioxidants can help prevent cell breakage and which can lead to eventual cancer. So antioxidants are always good. Those are things like blueberries, pomegranates, all the things that we hear about that are good to eat. They are good for you just for your general health. Now, can they prevent breast cancer? The answer to that is still no. We don't know enough about that to prevent it. But what we do know is there's a lot of research going into what's called metabol oncology. So really looking at your metabolism and how that relates to cancer. So there are, there's some good research going on now, even looking at putting your body into almost like a keto state. And everyone knows the keto diet now is out and about in the world and everyone wants to do that. But the research on that actually is very promising, that putting your body into a high-protein state, reducing the insulin in your body, reduces the estrogen exposure in your body, 
which can then reduce cancer and breast cancer. There's more to come on that. It's not ready for prime time yet. I don't want everyone out there to start doing keto tomorrow, thinking that they're going to prevent breast cancer. But what we know is that taking care of your health, reducing the amount of uh, glucose that you have in your body or diabetic type medicines that you have in your body or insulin, you reduce the amount of estrogen and then help reduce the exposure and the, the prevention of breast cancer. So you can use your diet to help, but it's not a cure-all be-all. Got it. That helps. Yeah. Cause I, I, again, that's one of the things I've heard people chit-chatting about ways to prevent cancer. So I always thought, you know, food was, was one of them. Yeah. I was, I was, I remember when I was younger, I was told that, you know, when you heat stuff up in the microwave, that's automatic yeah. cancer. That's just, <laughs> no, that's not true. No, that's, that's great to talk about. Cause there's lots of myths yeah. out there. Other myths mm-hmm. that, you know, we should probably mention besides that, you know, mm-hmm. the microwave, a lot of women say, you know, just underwire where when I wear underwire bra. Does that give, oh, did that give yes, me my cancer? I have, I have heard that. Have or heard if that. I put my cell phone in my bra, did that give me cancer? And the answer to that is no. We do not have any research <laughs> on that. And the other myth that we should be well aware of is that a biopsy, a lot of women who have an abnormal mammogram, mm-hmm. they need to undergo a biopsy. So the, the myth that's out there is that if you biopsy it and it is cancer, then you automatically cause it to spread. And that is false. It does not spread. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. (laughs) So the biopsy itself is the way that we diagnose the cancer in the breast to give us those tumor markers that Mm -hmm. helps us decide what your treatment plan will be. And if we, it it does not cause the body to spread the cancer rapidly. Things that cause the cancer to spread rapidly is if it gets into the lymph nodes and the lymph nodes live in the armpit. So that's something else that a lot of patients can be fearful of. Getting an abnormal mammogram is scary. And then they're like, wait, you want to biopsy it? That's going to spread it. And that is totally false. So I just want to make you aware of that so that if you do have that, please go get your biopsy. Thanks for that. I, yeah. I like that. that. That really, you know, going to debunk some of the myths that yes. are out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. So when we first started, I was talking about Tracy and, and what she had. So I think what the type, can I just, what I want to know is some of the, what are the common types of cancer? Because I think she had a mitosis. Is that right? Or metastasis? Metastasis. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so right, that so probably means that types? it's gone into her lymph node. Mm-hmm. So when the breast cancer leaves the breast, that is when it metastasizes or moves. That's just a fancy term for moving. Okay. So breast usually moves from the breast to the lymph node. And then from the lymph node, it can go to the other parts of the body. Hmm. That where breast cancer typically goes or metastasizes to when it becomes stage four really is the liver, the lung, the bone, or the brain. And so that's what we prevent. We prevent that by giving the medicine that goes systemically throughout the body. Again, I cannot remove your whole body from a surgical standpoint. So we need something that goes into the bloodstream whether it's IV medicine, like chemotherapy, or oral medicine, like a pill, like tamoxifen, that you can give to prevent those cells from spreading. Wow, my, our listeners are going to love this, I'm telling you that, because <laughs> <laughs> this is like information one, one-on-one, like just, because it's, it's so rare, a lot, not a lot of people, one, they're afraid to go to a doctor to get this information. And um, they're just not having general, people think these are stupid questions, you know, so. They, it's, not, it's, not that, it's not that they're stupid. It's, I look at it as they have to know how to ask those questions. Yeah, they think it's too yeah. general, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. is the sky really blue? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. And we get a lot of that. And, you know, the main thing is there's just tell patients there's no stupid question. When it comes to your health, there is nothing stupid that you can ask a physician or ask a friend. It is your health. It is of utmost importance. So go ahead and ask all those silly questions. And I promise you, we've heard it all. And we've probably heard more than what you're asking. So never be embarrassed or worried about asking anything. Absolutely. I have a question regarding uh, like the medication and uh, the pharmaceutical industry. That's something I'm not really familiar with. Do you see like any changes or something that pharmaceutical companies can be doing to better assist their patients? Yeah. So, I mean, from a standpoint of making the meds more obtainable and cheaper for patients, that's something that we as physicians fight for on a daily basis. The pharmaceutical companies, when they have a patent on a drug, we have to wait till that patent gets up before a generic version can come in. And that generic version is really what makes the medicines more affordable for patients. Now, with Texas Oncology, who I work for, we have a whole program where we can actually help assist patients with the medicines that they need, payment mm -hmm. plans. We have lots of different linkages to help patients from the pharmacy standpoint to really get their treatment at something they can afford. Because cancer treatment is not something that you either afford or can't afford. It's something you need. Yeah, and definitely. so... That's where we come through on that standpoint to try to provide that assistance. I'm also on the board of directors and I'm the board president for Susan G. Coleman. So really working with Susan G. Coleman, especially Susan G. Coleman Dallas, funds to the underserved population, providing mammograms, treatment, transportation, as well as research is super important. That's amazing. Does ancestry or genetics play a role into testing and treatment? Yes, definitely. So if you go to your physician and you start talking about your family history and the physician's like, wow, you know, you've got a strong family history of cancer, not just breast cancer, lots of other cancers linked together. And I mentioned prostate and pancreatic, but also there's a linkage with thyroid, with colon, with other types of rare cancers like sarcomas that your physician will know about. So if you have a lot of cancer in your family, then you can qualify for genetic testing. It's a simple blood test. And if you get that blood test and you're found to have a genetic mutation that's significant, then you can get plugged into what I have is what's called a high-risk clinic. That clinic is where I follow my higher-risk patients of getting breast cancer in a bit more specialized way, in a higher-risk way, where I alternate mammogram and even add in what's called an MRI every six months. So that patient is not only getting a yearly imaging, they're getting every six months to really make sure that if they do develop cancer, that we've caught it in such an early stage that it won't matter. Can you tell me a little bit more about what, what is the hidden scar certificate of training? Sure. So I practice hidden scar surgery of all types. What I want to do and what patients should request is I want to look in the mirror after my cancer surgery and see myself. Hmm. I don't want to see my scars. I don't want to see my memory of cancer. I want to see myself and what I looked like because after the journey is done, you will, patients will be themselves again. And even maybe a heightened version again or maybe a pumped up version if they do reconstruction, but they have to realize that cancer surgery does not equal mutilation. 
So we should be hiding our scars. So when I practice, I use highest technology of using different types of localization procedures and cutting edge techniques to be able to hide the incisions, take out less normal breast tissue, removing the cancer, but leaving the normal breast tissue behind. And then I rearrange that tissue underneath the skin so when they're done, their scar is hidden, usually in the fold of the breast, in the armpit, doing the whole surgery through the armpit, or even doing it just right around the areola. So when it heals, it's completely hidden. And now when they get done with their treatment, they will be proud that they went through breast cancer treatment and they look so good. And some people want to be proud of their scars and be proud of what they've been through. And they still can be, but they don't need to be visible. They don't need to be mutilating. They don't need to be life-changing because... Cancer shouldn't change your life. You should be able to go through cancer, come on the other side, cancer-free, run that mat marathon, and be yourself again. Thanks for sharing. I, and I didn't know that the procedure left such scars on, 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 on the human body at all. And I can only imagine how some people would want to be proud of it, but it, it can be also upsetting, you know what I mean? Because once you go through it afterwards, you're always reminded of, what happened and is it possibly going to happen again? Or it's kind of like, it's, it's a label, you know what I mean? If, Correct. And uh, that's- I always that's tell patients, you can still be proud of your scar, but you just have to show the other people where it is. Excellent. So then they feel <laughs> no. good about it. They're like, no, no, I really, I have a scar and I'm proud of it, but go ahead and find it. And that, that should be what the goal should be for patients because they should be so proud that they went through it. They shouldn't take anything away of their journey, but mm -hmm. they shouldn't have to wear it openly. No, and because beating cancer, when you beat it or when you go through it and you actually beat it, that's, I mean, that's probably one of the most happiest moments ever. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine because, you know, I have seen a few friends on Facebook or people that I know that have, you know, they, they talk about their journey, right? It, it sucks, you know, I, my one friend, she actually got her breast removed and she started, you know, her whole blog page. She showed like the progress and she had, actually, you're right, she did have scars and, but she was proud of it but she, i think she actually got them removed or something or she got reconstructive breast. reconstruction yeah yeah she got reconstruction but it's just like i can only because it's, it's a long process and it's a it scary is. process because you you the the unknown yeah and i it, i always tell patients this is not a sprint it's a marathon so get ready for it you got it. You're strong. You can get through this. And if you need help, we'll be your flotation devices along the way. But it definitely is not a sprint. Dr. D. Pasquale. <laughs> it's a tricky people, one. How often do people mess that up? Just oh, like know. daily. Everyone calls me Dr. D at the office. Dr. D. I like that. <laughs> Dr. D. Thank you so much. I would like to know, do you have anything that you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything? Any advice, tips? Upcoming? I would just say get your mammogram. October is October for breast cancer awareness and it's a month, but your life continues on throughout the year. So don't just think about your breast health in October. Remind yourself every month to just check on yourself. With COVID, it's totally safe. Go out and get your mammogram. Mammograms save lives. Thank you very much, Dr. D. And is there any way that, um, do you have like maybe Instagram or what's the website so where our listeners can uh, find you? Yeah, so Dr. Allison D. Pasquale is my Instagram. They can find me on there. I also have Dr. Allison D. Pasquale on Facebook. My office number, or one of them, <laughs> that can link them to a lot is 214-943-8605. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time and I hope you have a yeah. great week. Yes, thank, thank you Thank you. Much. Take care.
All right, listeners, thanks for listening to that podcast, which was very, very informational from Dr. D. Pasquale, or Dr. D. She shared lots and lots of information with us and our listeners today and really got rid of all those myths and got the facts straight. Yeah, she did. You know, I want to say she got rid of all of them. There's probably tons of them out there. Well, definitely the microwave. The microwave I, that one, was something I believed for a long time. The cell phone time. one. The cell was, phone. was a good one as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, so it's very insightful. And, and again, we all kind of have those those questions. But she really did, you know, debunk some of those things. And one of the things that she really just expressed was just getting checked, you mm-hmm. know, for women, but also for men. For a man, you may feel embarrassed, but, you know, the fear of unknown is also out there as well. And if you have a history of breast cancer, you need to get checked. We do know that we are susceptible to getting breast cancer. So make sure that you as well as all the women out there go and get your manograms or for your men, the man-o-grams, as yeah. she said. And as she really mentioned, this was, this was probably the most important thing that I got from that whole podcast is that cancer treatment isn't something that you can or cannot afford. It's something that you need. Preventative care and also, I know we're talking mainly about breast cancer, but just make sure if you feel something that's abnormal, you know your body. It can be in your, your breast tissue. It can also be uh, pancreatic or something. If you're feeling pain, your body is your best investment. So you need to take care of it. And then for the reconstructive surgery, we also know that it does help remove some of the cancer, but it, you know, cancer flows through your whole body and your whole body can't be removed surgically. So yeah, she made good points. She definitely did. So yeah, so if you have any questions about breast cancer, please feel free to reach out to Dr. D. She has a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, and she's friendly as well. As she mentioned, she's also the board director and board president of the Susan G. Coleman Foundation. So once again, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe and tune in next time.